The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. It's a sunny morning at Auckland Zoo. We're with the children of Room 3 from Waimauku Primary. Please, speak up a bit just so you can all hear me. So you're two, can you have a, a two lights or just adults? We want to go to the side. We're going to go for a bit of a hickory together, okay? Let's have a look at something. All right. Okay, let's have a look at something. Let's have a look at something. That's Kirsty McFarlane, an Auckland Zoo educator. Do you guys want to tell me why you've come to the zoo today? Why have you come to the zoo? Have a little think. Yes? We've got topics about the environment, I think. About the environment? So what have you been learning about? Get rid of more plastic. Oh, you're getting rid of plastic. That's pretty cool. Yeah. To study about animals. To study about animals. Okay. When you think about zookeepers, what do you think their jobs are? What do you think they do? Ooh, they look after the animals. They look after the animals. Which animals do they look after? Where? What animals? Their cat at home? Yeah. yeah? Animals in the zoo. Yeah, animals in the zoo. So I'm going to tell you something interesting. They don't just look after animals in the zoo. Sometimes they help out outside of the zoo. Yeah, yeah. Not stray animals, but animals that might be endangered. So you know what I mean when I say endangered? Yeah, so like a tower, they're endangered. And they help them out in the wild. I'm Noelle McCarthy, and in this episode of Good Ancestors, we're talking about understanding the way we're changing the world, how our children are coming to terms with that, and how we can all do something about it. Over the next four episodes, we'll look at how we're talking to children about climate change and threats to biodiversity, about how Western science and Matauranga Māori can work together to move that conversation forward. And we'll look at an example of people power, how that comes up against political inertia. Finally, we'll talk about what happens next. bird, lion, tiger, and all the animals. When it comes to connecting kids with the world around them, there's something about their innate relationship with animals that stories have been tapping into forever. From Aesop's fables to Kung Fu Panda, The Lion King, Finding Nemo. Sometimes, of course, the reality is a little less glamorous to young eyes. Lizards! Yeah, guys! These are the Chesterfield skinks, and you might be looking at the entire population of them. I'm going to tell you something really quite scary. Are you ready for this? Don't cry. They come from a habitat that's the side of a rugby field. That's their entire home in the wild. And then something happens. There was a big storm, 
and a lot of their home got destroyed. So the zookeepers, along with some other people, went out there and they collected all of the Chesterfield skinks that they could find and they've brought them back here and they're going to look after them. That underlying message about the importance of biodiversity might not be obvious to an eight-year-old, especially when you're talking about skinks. Room three, can we bring our voices down, okay? Because we're going to go and look at the tiger now. We don't want to scare it. All right, we're upset it. Developing a connection with the natural world is something that often comes most easily through big animals, those charismatic megafauna. The kids today, the initial reaction is nothing. And that's actually a good thing because they've stopped and they're like in awe, you know, um, what's actually going on. Andrew Cowers is in charge of Auckland Zoo's elephants. He's just brought the school group from Waimauku to meet Burma the Asian elephant in her habitat. And then you get the excited and then you just get this, like you just see it all happening. They go and then they reach out, they touch her leg and then they feel the warmth, they feel the skin, they feel the hair. All these sensations that come from meeting an animal up close. And, and that's where it starts. I can guarantee that those kids will never forget that moment. It's just that whole amazement that the kids just, when they get up close to these guys, it just blows their mind. There's one thing seeing it in a book, there's one thing seeing it on the, on the um, computer or iPad or what have you, to then come and see them. You know, the first thing the kids, when they walked in the barn today, was the smell. <laughs> it's like, it's not smelling. That visceral reaction is a gateway to understanding. From my point of view, we just want to create that fascination around whether it's elephants, but transfer that to other species. So, like, you know, a lot of people don't realise that our native species are just as amazing. It's just the fact that they don't always look as charismatic as these guys. But once you start the, the learning process or learning around what animals are capable, capable of, well, that just transfers to other species, you know, a way a beetle might live or, or the fact that elephants might defecate and their dung, you know, provides a home or a nest for beetles as such. So, it, you know, it's that whole circle of life thing that we talk about and when we talk about, this, you know, saving elephants as an endangered species, you save so many other species as well, whether it's the large habitat that they live in, the, you know, the flora and fauna that go with it. Of course, zoos aren't the only place that children learn about the natural world. Families are a hub for conversation and ground zero for understanding and implementing practical solutions. Janine has five children. She's with Room 3 today, where her youngest, eight-year-old Ezra, is a student. He's had a lot of discussions around conservation with his mum. Mainly about obviously recycling and um, protection and awareness of animals and of course what you see on the news. We have a lot of wild birds and things so they're really really quite um, attached to keeping them safe and keeping them happy. A lot of our stuff in our house is driven by the older kids. Yes. They're really, really passionate about um, the orangutans, the sea, very, very tearful about the sea and what's happening to the sea and plastic not ending up in the sea. Um, and the animals, there's only a few left. You know, we sponsor a few animals um, of different species. And here's Ezra. Your mum was saying that you knew something about what was happening in the oceans. What's happening in our oceans? Um. It's becoming filled with plastic. And what's the plastic doing? It's killing all the animals in the ocean. How does that make you feel? Bad. And is there something we can do about it? Yes. What can we do? We could stop using plastic bags. Is that what you do in your family? Ah, yes. (laughs) 
get older, do you talk to them about the more sort of complicated stuff around climate change, Janine? We do, but they learn an awful lot in school. Our older kids go to um, Pinehurst School in Albany mm. and they do a lot there studying about the environment and what they can do to help. They have projects, they do the Duke of Ed. Um, bronze, silver and gold badges to, and that's really environmentally driven um, so they're really aware and while I'm not sitting taking a back seat I let them drive a lot of it because yeah. it's what they're passionate about that's going to make a difference because they are the future. Is it interesting to you when they come home and say oh we learned about this today, we yes. learned about plastic? Yeah. They've ta- taught me a lot actually, they've taught me a lot about things that you don't really hear about, um, so much on the news for us, you know things around the world that are affecting the environment and climate change and and all the the sad issues. Those sad issues. The idea we're on the cusp of a self-inflicted environmental disaster so large it will devastate human society within the space of a generation or two. Those issues can make teaching in that space a challenge. Room 3's teacher, Stacey Dewar, turned to an imaginary creature from Dr Seuss as a way in. Beginning of the year we talked about the Lorax and we introduced that story um, because I know in classrooms it's quite tricky to be conscious of how much you consume and the effect that that has on the environment. So we talked a lot about the Lorax and talked about being the... Uh, Lorax instead of the Wunzler, um, so keeping keeping in mind, making sure we're only taking what we need um, and leaving the rest for the environment. Um, and so that sort of provided the springboard for looking into the environment and how much we use and the impact that that has. And was that something that these guys were able to grasp? I think they're sort of getting a, a deeper understanding of it now. I've used quite a few um, YouTube videos to get them into into the topic um, and then also a lot of the, the junior journals and school journals um, during their reading time to expose them to some different ideas and concepts. Um, so we've looked at um, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch uh, and sort of what that looks like and where it comes from to give them an idea of, you know, once we put our rubbish out it doesn't just disappear, it actually ends up somewhere. Um, and then that sort of led into, well, how does that affect the animals and the environment? Um, and it looked at all of the plastic that was going into the animals and, and yeah, and how it was affecting their environment as well. So they're seeing yeah. a bit more of the impact of human activities on all of the other species on the planet? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you haven't started on climate change or human-assisted uh, climate change? No, yet? so we're sort of, yeah, building into that. Um, that's sort of our next step in our learning what will that be like, do you think? It's a hard topic, and when we looked at the video of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, we'd done a pre-reading of a school that had used that as a springboard for their learning as well, and they'd sort of looked within their school and in their classroom to see how they could affect change. Um, and I sort of prepared them for the video because you did see animals that had died as, as a result of plastic that they'd consumed. And so preparing them for some of the videos that they watch because the next one that we have is about the melting of the polar ice and polar bears having to swim further to get to where they need to be and then how that's affected their cubs as well because they've been in the water longer and so sort of preparing them for the, what they'll see. Because there's some hard hard facts when you talk about climate change it's about death it's about suffering and for children of this age they they sometimes ask difficult questions don't they yes well and they're very affected by it Laura 
Rayner is head of Auckland Zoo's education programme. She says pitching a story that offers hope is key to getting the message across in the right way. The worst thing is for children to come and kind of be like, you know, well, what's the point? And you never want anyone to walk away with that feeling. And it's you always want to explain the issue and explain the problem and educate people on that, but then also say this is actually how you can help and this is something you can do. Laura says telling stories rather than just stating facts brings a sense of possibility. If we put that in story form and we say, you know, we give the turtle its name, which it came in, and, you know, we found this amount of plastic in its stomach, guys. This is really, really sad, you know, but, and, and that turtle sadly didn't make it. And there is a little video about it, but it's not, you know, we want everyone to cry and be really distraught about that. It's actually like, you know, that makes us think, and what can we do? Um, you know, you don't have to use plastic bags all the time at the supermarket, and that's one of the things that can actually help that turtle, and that's really real because it was just here last week. Um, and they really respond to that. They're not sad they're not crying they're not they're like you know they have that moment of and they have that feeling of like I don't want that to happen to another turtle I love those turtles in Finding Nemo they're amazing you know they live how many years old you know and everyone remembers that from the story so that has the power they have the feeling it's already there and then you can leverage that and go well actually this is something we can do and then they feel really good about that they're like right cool you know I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna use these bags (laughs) and reusable bags rather than using plastic all the time. Kids worrying about plastic bags may not feel like much defence in the face of climate change, but that optimism is a deliberate act of empowerment, a way of supplying tools to people in the hope that collective action is the only way of winning a battle we're all currently losing. We went to go and see David Attenborough talk when he was over here and, and you know, when you hear someone who you've looked up to all of your life and you're like, he is the, you know, the god of all conservation and he's saying, it's looking pretty bad, guys, you know, um, that does hit home and you you are very worried and, you know, he's living and breathing that every day as we are here and I just think how many <laughs> tragedies have happened in the world and stuff and if, if we all kind of lay down and just went right, well, that's it, nothing more to do. I just think you have to fight till the end. And even though it is pretty bleak right now and we are seeing more and more of this in our faces and more and more effects of it as well, and I think day-to-day people are noticing effects, sometimes it has to get to that point for people to make a difference. And I think when, as human race, I think it's very important that, and, and with messaging as well as a zoo, It has to matter to visitors. It has to matter to the person. People have to realise something in my daily life is going to change for the worse, so then then I will positively make a change. So I see that actually is a little bit of a positive. And I think that's where parents and kids get involved because they're like, hang on, I've, I've got my beautiful children. I don't want them to live in a world like that. And this is actually real now. So I think that's where the power is. Next time, we'll talk about how two apparently very different ways of viewing the world and our place in it can come together and affect real change. Good Ancestors was produced by me, Noel McCarthy and John Daniel for Bird of Paradise Productions in association with Auckland Zoo, engineered by Andre Upston and hosted on The Spin-Off. 
Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.